1: Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I am so excited to introduce my friend, Yen Wang, to you. He is a futurist, technologist, and manifestation architect, and of course, the number one best-selling author and parallel entrepreneur who designs DTL systems and transformational experiences that help humanity play its way to abundance. And I can't wait for him to share a little bit more about what he anticipates seeing in Civilization 2.0. Welcome, Yen. Hi, Heidi. So Manifestation Architect, can you explain that a little bit to our digital selfers?
2: yeah um, I was actually our mutual friend, Mike Koenigs. I was talking to him, and we were trying to identify what it is that I do exactly because i, I work in a lot of different areas we were riffing and he came up with the term manifestation art architect. So I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. And really what that means is, you know, we have Napoleon Hill thinking grow rich or like all these ideas of manifestation. And I've had the realization throughout my career that like, I've always been focused on just making things happen. So not necessarily like exactly how I may envision it, but like, you know, in, in my early days in uh, video games, I was always like I'd always do the design, or I'd have some like synchronous meeting at some conference, which would lead to a publishing deal. It would just be very much um, putting an intention out there and then letting it unfold. So, so, so now I'm looking to apply that to bigger things, the video games.
1: And I hear you've been very involved in you know what a lot of people still are trying to wrap their hands around and and really understand is the whole cryptocurrencies and and really blockchain in general. It's kind of an amazing journey. When I met you, you had just started really delving into that and just seeing in the short time that I've known you, where you've gone with that. And of course, your history, working with video games, and just in general, the the futurist piece, I think, really has given you a unique perspective and connection to the world. I don't know how much you can share of the work that you're doing right now, but can you share a little bit about that? It's pretty exciting.
2: Well, I'll back up a little bit. So I worked in video games, as you know, for a long time. I did video games from basically 1993 to 2014, starting as a game designer and engineer and just sort of wandering my way through the industry and up the corporate ladder to a position at Blizzard Entertainment, where I was the head of operations in Taiwan. So really got to understand behind the scenes how massively multiplayer online games, literally millions of players, functioned. And then at the end of 2014, I got a little bit burned out of uh, my dream job, so I took a sabbatical and spent some time doing research in a lot of different technologies, including machine learning, and VR, AR, and blockchain. And I was looking at back then it wasn't even blockchain back then it was just Bitcoin, pretty much. And I knew there's something interesting there, but it seemed kind of a little bit scary. So I, um, you know, just kept researching. I also did a lot of personal development work and traveled the world and explored. Just really did a reset so I could figure out what I wanted to do. And then about a year ago, it started really clicking together that all of these different technologies are coming together and where blockchain comes into it, or like, actually I call it, it's more, it's evolving into something called distributed ledger technology. So it's not necessarily just blockchains, but different methods to be able to have decentralized governance systems and decentralized um, currencies. So that really empowers us to design systems that have much, um, basically, it allows us to design systems that have decisions and incentives governed by code and math rather than a third party or a central authority. So it creates some really interesting dynamics within the potential of what we can do to solve a lot of the problems that we have in the world today.
1: It's an amazing approach. And I think that having a son who is, was very involved or still plays a lot of video games and seeing the complexities in some of these worlds that are created. And I mean, he was the one that introduced me to Bitcoin years ago. And I, you know, I thought it was just something that was used on games. But I think that the whole movement of where it's gone now and, and you tie it into the human performance piece. Where do you think it made that jump from the gaming space to something that, you know, can fit into real world society and mainstream?
2: Okay, so I guess the human performance aspect is actually sort of a parallel Ah, evolution that's happening right now. I mean, some of the work that you and I do together, mastermind groups and so forth, it's really about leveling ourselves up as individuals so that we can help level up the collective. And then on the other side of things is... Decentralized ledger technologies, uh, machine learning, these sort of automated systems that can better evaluate complex systems, because the human mind is actually a very strong compression algorithm. We, We like to simplify things into little stories and sometimes the bigger picture gets lost. So, with the upcoming technologies, like, you know, we have sensor technologies and whether we like it or not, I think there's going to be just so much data that's out there about us individually, as well as like the overall flow of Society and, you know, what we've seen recently with Facebook, with the centralized um, social media, there's a lot of um, incentive systems in there. And with the key element is there's a potential for decentralized ledger technologies to allow us to design systems where we individually have more sovereignty over our own data. And where rather than a centralized, you know, middleman or gatekeeper is taking most of the extracting most of the value out of the system, it's like we can create systems where the individuals can have the value. So like, for example, if you can imagine if you had your access to your own data that was, you know, encrypted in a way that people would only see what you want them to see, you could potentially sell your own data to advertisers to find products or services that you actually want rather than having Facebook control that. So So it's more
1: pull rather than push.
2: Yeah, exactly. It would be like a pull style of uh, discovery rather huh. than targeted micro targeting. Right.
1: Do you think humans are fully capable of, you know, in their current state? I think most people are fairly asleep in terms of knowing what they want to pull.
2: Yeah. I think that's actually, in fact, one of the favorite questions I like to ask people when I meet them is like, you know, they'll be giving their pitch or they'll be talking about what they do. And I like to ask, like, what's the dream? Hmm. And that usually, <laughs> a common reaction is like, oh that's a that's a good question I haven't thought about that <laughs> so so yeah, I think humans you know, part, part of it's the system and then part of it is what, what I was talking about with uh, increasing our own performance and sovereignty and connection to ourselves so that we can really know what what we really want and what gifts we can bring to the world
1: mm-hmm. what's your favorite technology
2: in what context
1: well, in terms of sort of helping you optimize yourself hmm. and, and optimize your capabilities sort of both from a I guess I should say technologies because it would be probably different technologies that you would use yeah. to optimize self um, for life and others for work
2: so like I'm a explorer I'm open to almost any modality of uh, performance but in terms of technologies I think for sure there's just the I mean the internet these days is pretty incredible there's so many resources like YouTube videos blogs books you know i mean that's always a valuable frame and then like um on a more energetic framework i did a lot of exploration of plant medicines so things like ayahuasca those are very powerful tools technologies really that are ancient traditions that help us become our best selves so i've done exploration there and then of course the the eastern practices is yoga meditation so i've um i've gone through journeys with the whole broad scope of um Leveling up, so I, I think they're all valid, and everybody has their own, you know, particular affinity to certain modalities versus others. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to say like a favorite, but yeah, I, I think I'm open to all of them. I think they're all valid, and it's really, I think the key is to to seek and to to look for to have that intention to to level yourself up to to the highest level that you can be. I
1: love. I'm sure it's sort of the gaming. Verbage, but I I love the way that you refer to it as level up, because I think that that's something that we often sort of, we get stuck at a level, a lot of people really get to a plateau and, and businesses get to a plateau. And really knowing how to seek different modalities and different approaches in order to level up is sort of the new way of doing things, because it don't necessarily have to stick with the old ways of leveling up or of creating change which there's a lot of fear involved in that so i think you know good for you for seeking alternative methods i think that that's something pretty powerful have you had any misadventures in your experiences with trying to level up
2: oh yeah for sure i mean i think um so so yeah go back when I go back to 2014 it felt very much like jumping off of a cliff. I was like okay, I could take another corporate job or I could take some time off and you know, figure out what I'm going to do and rather than uh, making money I'm going to burn a bunch of money to to do these explorations, misadventures. Yeah, I don't know if mis- it's it's all adventure. I think misadventures like when I look back on it, sometimes some of the things that I've done seem crazy like just picking up and flying to a jungle in Peru and drinking ayahuasca, for example, or yeah, like some of them, yeah, some some of the experiences have been pretty deep. They're all adventures, I think. Um,
1: yeah. So maybe misadventure is the wrong word. I'm just thinking, you know, things that you've had, have had a profound impact on you that maybe weren't necessarily like different in, intended outcomes. but okay, maybe Okay. Yeah. That had well, actually,
2: you know, impact. what brought me to meet you was an interesting um, story. So I went to Burning Man last year, and it was my first time. I had never gone and I pretty much spent the entire time just being lost, just wandering. And um I, I barely saw the people I originally went with. And it led me to uh actually meet Mike. I um before I went in, I, I set an intention with my group that I wanted to help find people that would help me level up. Mm-hmm. And through a random series of misadventures, basically, I went to a party at a 747, uh, lost my group, met this doctor named Matt, and he and I bonded. So we went on an adventure and then rode our bikes to some party and met Dave Asprey, who then invited me to his camp, and I met Mike there. And that sort of led me on a down this rabbit hole of, you know, publish and profit and so forth, where I connected with you. And I think one of the interesting keys to growth is like letting go of that fear like there there's this it feels very much like jumping off a cliff you're going into some completely unknown just unknown the unknown like and and finding that sort of courage to go okay well i know there's this destination that i want to go to i have no idea how i'm going to get there but i'm just going to keep taking steps in that direction has you know it's scary at times especially when I'm in a phase when I'm, I'm basically not I'm, the opportunity cost of not working is pretty high, but I knew there was something more like deep inside. I knew there was something that I needed to, to find. So, so yeah, I think, um, I forgot what the original question was, but <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I went on a misadventure yeah. this. Well, misadventures
1: that, you know, that turned out to be valuable learning experiences, I think. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I think everything is also taking the viewpoint that anything that happens, whether it feels good or bad at the time, when I look back at it, a lot of times it was it, it was an educational experience. It allowed me to explore either some limiting belief in myself or improper understanding of reality almost that could occur from some of these more, you know, quote unquote, negative experiences.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. So true. So you're doing some really cool projects right now within the currency space and also in just advising around blockchain. Blockchain, yeah. And... I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of fear around that. When you're talking to people who are not familiar with blockchain and the potential for it, what's your best way to help people understand the potential without triggering fear for them?
2: Right. So I think the fear comes from. Uh, I mean, it's just it's a very wild west space right now. It's it's very complex. It's hard to fully understand. I mean, I don't think anybody fully understands. The landscape of everything that's going on because it's moving so fast, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of scams out there. I, I think 2017 was basically the initial coin offering sort of really took off last year in 2017, and a lot of those raises were either not properly regulated or you know they didn't follow SEC rules, or they were just fraudulent. I've heard numbers as high as like eighty percent of ICOs were fraudulent, or at very least not properly execute from a regulatory standards so so that's that is scary and um, and and also this whole hype because if you had bought let's say you'd bought like a thousand dollars of Bitcoin in I don't know 2013 or something today it would be worth like something ridiculous like 200 million dollars some, some there's crazy there's been crazy um inflation in the cryptocurrencies largely based on what they call FUD, like fear or, or fomo like mm-hmm. fear of missing out so you know people got caught in the hype there's a lot of crypto millionaires out there but then it's also like at this point it's, it's so chaotic that it's hard to to fully understand but i think that's a lot of that's missing the actual point because the the speculation and the investment is is mostly just hype but what's important to understand is the technology underneath it blockchain it what what it really enables is it enables us to design more complex forms of money so if you think of money as a, um, as a language, right. It's the, it's a very one dimensional language. It's basically a high score value. Whereas if you look at video games, like world of Warcraft, for example, there's like hundreds of different currencies and like, um, uh, metrics within, within the game that are like, for example, there's like, actually I haven't played in a while, but in the old days, there's something called honor, which is how well you perform on the battlefield or reputation in different factions They've really sort of um, created a a simple multidimensional framework for money, and with blockchain, we can start applying that to the real world. So, I had this realization that uh, we're basically living in a giant, massively multiplayer online game right now. Facebook, Google, like all these all these inputs are creating some sort of game game framework around our society, and. The issue with it is that these are large centralized publicly traded companies that have you know fiscal responsibility to maximize profits for shareholders, so that's sort of the, the primary incentive whereas like if we have a more decentralized governance system and there's a lot of um, a lot of the leading blockchain platform developers are really focused on governance as a uh, as a priority so so they're figuring out ways that we can have either like ethereum's working on they're looking to work on a very like completely decentralized governance system, whereas you know there's other projects such as EOS or Hashgraph where they're they're looking to have some stakeholders that are basically functioning as part of the governance body mm-hmm. to to do their best to incentivize good behavior. That's the big um picture of what's happening is that blockchain and and other technologies, blockchain, machine learning, like even like AR, VR, and sensor technology to create a better understanding of reality those those technologies together have the potential to create a governance system that's much more balanced fair and good for all stakeholders including the planet as a stakeholder that would be a or our environment the the ecosystem of the planet as something that needs to be accounted for
1: thank you that, w- that was an awesome explanation because i think that for a lot of people it's just it's so complex that it's overwhelming, but I do think there's so many wonderful possibilities in terms of really being in a world that has a little more ethical control. I'm far from a blockchain expert, but the person that explained it to me the first time that it really clicked and I understood the whole concept of being able to track source of things through tokens, all of a sudden was like this big aha to me that there's there's uh, more transparency and i think that's a really powerful way to proceed when we are becoming much more intertwined with you know just as as a world you know what we do impacts others and other sides of the planet and so to be able to understand where the source of the money or where the source of the influence is coming from is pretty important
2: yeah so there's the concept of um Seed to sale, they have like the farming metaphor where it's like, you know, from the very origination of the seed to the table, that's kind of like one of the things if we can immutably and accurately track a process basically from beginning to end. And that can apply to other technologies as well. I'm having trouble coming up with it from off the top of my head, but like I've heard the seed to sale phrase applied to many other different industries as well. So that concept's definitely something where you know, if we have much more transparency into where our products come from. And then if you if you can imagine, we can layer on top of that. Also, what are the economic or carbon impacts of this seed to sale process? That's kind of where where things are going. And that's the ineffable future that we're all sort of moving towards. And there's a lot of different pieces that need to be developed on the way in order to get there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Before we go into our next piece, I just want to take a quick word from our sponsor so we don't miss out on that. These guys have been super helpful for me. So we're going to hear from Oscar and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Oscar Wellness. When pain stops, life begins. Oscar Pulse mimics the body's own recovery processes to relieve pain, muscle stiffness, and inflammation using optimized pulsed electromagnetic field technology, PEMF, to encourage recovery at a cellular level so you can get back to life. And I got to tell you, this thing works so well, my husband and I are fighting over it. So I highly recommend you take a moment and try it out. They have all kinds of options for checking it out. And they've even given us an opportunity to share a discount with you, $55, by using the 2BU code on the OSCA Wellness site. You can check out the show notes to get more details. And we're back. So, Yen, you actually were not born in the U.S. So you worked in Asia and then came over to the U.S. I'm just curious about your experience with the culture of the relationship with technology there versus here and did you feel a difference and I, I think probably the industry that you were in gave you a particular perspective on that
2: yeah hmm. that's a good question I so I was born in Taiwan I actually moved to the states when I was like an infant so I, I moved over when I was really young but I did go back to Taiwan and live there between 2010 to 2014. Yeah, the cultural differences are pretty interesting. I think um, one one of the things is I think, and this might not just be a Asian thing, but the, the fact that there's a lot of public transportation, people are just, they seem like they're on their phones even more than we are, because in America, we're driving in a car and live, listening to a podcast. In Taiwan, they're literally just sitting on a subway playing Candy Crush or reading a novel or whatever they're doing on their phones. So... So and then and then the whole like selfie craze. I think that I mean it spread from Asia, but it was it was crazy back when I was there. Just like everyone, they're little like one of the first times I went to Korea. I remember this. This was kind of strange to me. This was probably in two thousand eight. I was at a a park and there were these women or these girls, like probably in their early twenties, sitting across the way, and they were just taking selfies nonstop and. At the time, it seemed. I mean, we see that everywhere now, but at the time, it seemed very strange. One place that's really interesting is China. I think China, because of the nature of their government, it's like they're they're able to um, move really fast. Like I I used to spend a lot of time going to Shanghai, and every time I went to Shanghai, the skyline would change. And because it's always been sort of a you know government controlled uh, media, like you know Google's not allowed there there's the great firewall of China that only like everything in China has to be approved. It's very different than America, but there's some interesting, almost like a uh, A-B testing, right? Of, mm-hmm. of societies where in China you have a monolithic one government system, as well as like the monitoring that's coming. Like I think one of the big frontiers of where technology is going is the privacy issue. And this actually stems from The power of the exponential individual, I think, because we've, we all have so much power now because of technology, like we can influence millions of people, we can, you know, research technology to do anything. So, so like, bad actors become really scary. So as a consequence, it's like society, I think, has created this surveillance state almost where everything's being monitored to prevent, you know, terrible things from happening, which also has that uncomfortable privacy, uh, implication where their privacy is melting away and, you know, we have to figure out how to deal with that. So, so I think China is a really interesting place where, you know, they're, they're experimenting with, there's something called Sesame credit in China, which is basically a gamification system. It's like credit scores on steroids in China, where like, if you're a good citizen, you get better access to Benefits and so forth, and it's if like you're a bad Black citizen, Mirror
1: episode, it's
2: very Black Mirror. Like Black Mirror <laughs> is is here. <laughs> so, as far as differences in Asia and here, there's some subtle or not so subtle differences because I, I don't think people in China are necessarily my friends that are younger. They're they're just like, okay, well that that's just the way it is. What are we going to do? Fight the government? We're just going to live our lives as best we can. So.
1: I wonder if, I mean, as you were talking about the whole selfie culture and that also the controlled media piece, there's sort of this sense of how much can you trust what you see as being, you know, sort of the genuine real article? Sort of, you Mm -hmm. know, is it an edited version, whether it's an image that's sort of the one good picture out of thousands that you know that you chose to post, but then then you ran it through some mode where you're you know fixing it so you look perfect to the same thing that the you know the government may be doing with all the information that goes out. It's sort of where does the trust lie? And I wonder if that you know that's sort of where we're suffering a little bit right now in the US where it's sort of how do we trust media? How do we trust what we see or experience? and sort of the whole fake news concept, because who ultimately is the one that can judge what's real?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem we're facing right now. There's literally the sense-making apparatus of humanity is broken right now. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know what's real anymore, because we're in a room full of just so many different voices that, like, it's it's, it's hard for anyone to tell what's real. And then there's also these really powerful tools to modify belief systems. And like the Cambridge Analytica stuff's all come out recently where they're a firm that does psychographic micro-targeting based on personality profiles. So they can actually serve ads that have a message that's targeted for your personality. That's going to trigger a reaction in a very visceral way. And they're not the only ones doing it. Like everybody's doing that. Basically that's the entire sort of digital advertising model. And they just happen to be really good at it. And they happen to be ha- have political clients. So they kind of came to the forefront. But the reality is, you know, every single person that's buying Facebook ads is doing audience targeting. So that's exactly the issue is how do we know what's real and what's not? And it actually ties a little bit back to blockchain. Because if we have seed to sale for information, let's say, which is actually something that I'm working on. Then you know this this sensor network that's coming this this sort of big brother sensor network. What if that was more of a decentralized input system for reality, where we can all have basically more coherence of reality? Because I, I think what's happening is there's also this feedback loop as we start getting these different inputs. These little echo chambers evolve, where there's this group of people that believes the Earth is flat, and then there's this group of people that believes that Trump is the next coming of Jesus or whatever, you know, like there's just all these different echo chambers that can really oversimplify reality to a a very simple sentence almost that doesn't capture the nuances and the complexity of what reality really is. But with
1: the whole concept of the, you know, the seed piece, can blockchain be used to help track sort of the origin or the, say, for example, if you use an image? you know, what was the original image, for example, or what's been its path in terms of manipulation over the course of time? Is that something that you could apply blockchain to as well? Or is, is yeah, that oversimplifying um, it?
2: Yeah, I think, I think data, just data in general. In the blockchain world, there's something called oracles, which are basically connections to the real world. So an oracle would be something that you would have a reliable source of information that you, you can trust because if, if you can't trust the information going into an immutable ledger, you're basically storing, it's like garbage in garbage out. So, so it's very important, sort of the interface between the, um, the real world and the digital world. And that's where I think a lot of the development this year is around. And a lot of that's process oriented. Like we need to have good processes in order to, to verify the validity of any piece of data. So, so yeah, I, I think, um, Blockchain applies to it, but it's only as good as the interface between the real world and the digital world.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, some of that it depends on who's who's the person behind where it's being entered from. Um, right. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Unfortunately, somehow, sometimes yeah. what we end up with. But I guess that's no different than the way it was in in the past. Can you tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on Civilization 2.0? And I want to make sure that we don't forget to tell people where they can find your work and connect with you if they're interested in learning more about your work.
2: Yeah. So, so Civilization 2.0, I think if we look at, um, we go back historically, basically back to like hunter-gatherer and then like agricultural civilizations. This is the first time in history, as far as we know anyway, like maybe we got wiped out and started over millions of years ago. But I don't know. No no one really knows. But in this iteration of civilization, we've reached this point where it's this convergence of like all... It's like the perfect storm of technology and existential risk and catastrophic risks have all kind of hit at the same time. So we've solved enough problems that survival rates and diseases and stuff like that are much more under control. So we have a population of seven and a half billion people now. And we're all now connected through the internet in this global civilization fabric where it's completely interconnected, so there's kind of this race between us destroying the planet, which is i mean we all viscerally feel you know you look at the the pictures of like the giant plastic continent in the middle of the ocean, or you know just ocean acidification, the ecosystem destruction, like all of these really scary threats, and then at the same time, we have these amazing tools which could potentially solve it all, right? So Civilization two is this vision that is so complex and so ineffable that I can't individually visualize it. Like I can't fit it in my head, but there's something there where we can sort of imagine this connected society where there's incentives for actually true healing rather than just symptom treating for medicine, for example, or a global socioeconomic governance system that creates much more harmony through removal of perverse incentives, that AI plus blockchain plus sensor technologies, plus, you know, accelerated medicine, like I think medicine that can actually heal rather than treat symptoms. You and I both know a lot of doctors that are working in this space and healers that are working in this space. I think the combination of all of that promises something really beautiful (laughs) out on the horizon so what I'm working on is I'm actually I'm attempting to reverse engineer that. So if you think about like a, a stack, so in, in software, there's something what they call like a full stack development. So you have like your bottom layer, which is like the protocol layers, then you build on top of that. And then at some point you have an application level layer and then the user interface. So if we think about the entire planetary ecosystem as a giant stack, then you know we need to build protocol layers, and that's kind of where we are right now. Like I think the internet plus blockchain plus machine learning, these pieces can form like a bottom glue layer where we can start building different um, governance applications and economic systems and you know marketplaces to create an abundance-based society rather than scarcity. So rather than you know we're we're extracting resources from planet and really. Controlling it as much as possible individually to see who wins the high score. I think Jeff Bezos is in the lead right now. Officially, there may be anonymous trillionaires out there or something. But instead of that game, it's like shifting the game design of Civilization to something that's much more um, not high score based, but more you know, multi-dimensional incentives, including I think Jason Silva. The the first time I heard about it was from Jason Sylvie. He says, the true definition of a billionaire, is someone who positively affects the lives of a billion people. So if we can have a multi-dimensional money system that that sort of incentivizes that energy rather than this very linear high score table, okay, his net worth is $100 million now, trillion dollars. I think that's sort of the the vision of Civilization 2.0. And uh, yeah, so anything that we can do to accelerate towards that, I think is a worthwhile purpose.
1: I love that. I feel comfortable and comforted knowing that you are advising people on exactly that because I can't think of a better person and more ethical to be behind something like that. So thank you for your work. And don't forget, we can tell people to go to the Yan Wang, which is yuanwang.com. Is there any other place that people can find you or is there a, or to find your work? What's the name of your book anyway?
2: Oh, the book is the abundance prophecy. So I talk about. So basically, I, I put in a lot of um, frameworks of the, the way I think you can sort of tell from this, this uh, conversation, there's a lot of different ways to frame reality. And uh, that book is framing that. And it's also my first exploration towards Civilization 2.0. So you can find that on Amazon, just Abundance Prophecy. And there's a link from my website as well.
1: Great. Well, we will have those in the show notes and make sure that people can follow your work because I think there's definitely some good things to be coming from Yen. Yen, such a treat having you on the show today. I always enjoy our conversations. and look forward to catching up with you soon in person. Any final closing words of advice for surviving this civilization 2.0 for our evolving digital selfers out there?
2: I think what's the dream? That is the ultimate dream, right? This uh, abundance civilization. What is the personal dream? I think that's an exploration that I revisit over and over. It's like, what do I want to be doing, and how does that give meaning and provide abundance, both like in my immediate circle as well as for for the good of all. So.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And it's been just such a pleasure having you here. And for those of you evolving digital selfers out there, thank you for joining us today. It has been my pleasure to be with you for this period and look forward to next time on the Evolving Digital Self Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And if you like our show, please take some time to rate and review. It helps us get out there so other people know we're there. So catch you next time. Bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.